how I came to Mansfield. We moved to Mansfield in 2002, a month before my youngest daughter was born. And several people told us about, about the church. And we started going one Saturday evening and looking through the bulletin, um, seeing the request for, for Big Hope. And um, I kind of felt called at the beginning, put it off for a while. Then there was another request for volunteers, and so that's when I uh, decided to sign up. For me, personally, um, when I felt that calling, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was 10 days old. Somebody was there to, that felt called to give me um, a future that if I wasn't adopted, I, you know, I may not have had. And so that's kind of why I wanted, why I think I felt called is because I wanted to provide that voice and, and tell them, hey, look, there's this whole other big world out there. Every time I come to ponder and walk down the halls and whether I see, you know, a kindergarten class, second graders, they all have smiles on their face. They're all happy to be there, enjoy coming to school. But this is a happy place. They come here and they see this brand new building and what the community has invested in them. There is definitely a sense of pride uh, amongst all the staff and, and the kids. My match, my little has, um, actually has both his parents at home. And, and I think that's what surprised me the most was is that, you know, he seemed to have a very happy uh, home life. You know, they sit down and have dinner together, you know, much like we do with my family. I was merely coming along to just be his friend and be his buddy, somebody that he could talk to as an adult. We've spent a lot of time reading What's this like? to deal with some of his learning disabilities. My little brother has dyslexia. Break it down. So I've kind of used that experience Enter. Yeah. dealing with my younger brother to help Aaron because he also has uh, a mild form of dyslexia. It's got an ER on the end, so Part of producers. I'm just having trouble on number three. Okay. The U.S. paid taxes. You filed your taxes? No. Oh, that should be Texas. T-E. Probably picked up a couple of reading levels over the years. Texas. We'll do some reading math activity for a little bit and then we'll spend half the time you know playing a game or just talking he weighs rocks we just picks it up and carries it no he uses a forklift oh he uses a forklift aaron has changed a lot i mean he's gone from a second grader to a fourth grader so in those two years he has matured and we talked about the future and what the future looked like that hey college is an option too so you don't have to be pigeonholed into doing this one thing your entire life he can dream any dream and if he puts his mind to it that he can achieve that dream so you were paying attention to class weren't you sort of Sort of. I benefited most from knowing that, you know, not everybody has the opportunities that I have. It's helped me to probably be more reflective and just listen and not say, okay, well, instead of doing that, do this and that will fix your problem and then we can, we can go on to the next problem. Kids will tell you if they want help to fix a problem or they just want to talk about something. I think that's the one thing that I've probably learned the most, you know, see things more from their perspective and then remember their viewpoint and let them know that you've been down that road and and you can relate to them. It's something that I think we're all called to do 
and that is to, you know, lift each other up and, and help them so that they know that other people care about them. My name is Troy Lestina. I work for the City of Mansfield as the Assistant Finance Director. I'm a mentor and I have big hope. Welcome friends, my name is David and I'm honored to serve as your senior pastor and to have the chance to welcome you to this final message in our Legacy Message series. In this final message, we're going to be focusing on the prophet Elijah and the way he intentionally mentored and prepared Elisha to carry on his legacy into the next generation. And to do that, I've asked two special pastors to share with you today. The first is Reverend Joseph Nader, who serves as the campus minister at the Wesley Foundation at the University of Texas in Arlington. He'll be sharing in all of our sanctuary services. And our very own Reverend Lauren Robkin will be sharing the message at the Well and the Well Cafe. Each of them are speaking today because they represent a modern expression of this work we see modeled in Elijah's story. As a campus pastor, Joseph's ministry is focused on investing in next generation leaders. And our church has been the direct beneficiaries of that work. Thomas Mitchell, who grew up here in our church family, he's one of our candidates for ministry, is currently serving as the associate director under Joseph's leadership. Alongside others in our church family, Pastor Lauren, who herself is a recent graduate of UTA, was also heavily active in the Wesley Foundation ministry. As a family of faith, I want you to know that we are deeply committed to the work of growing next generation leaders. And so today, during the 11 o'clock sanctuary service, I am also pleased to share with all of our services that we will be presenting a check from our Next Generation Leadership Fund to support Cassidy Ball and the internship she will be doing this fall at the Wesley Foundation at UTA. Cassidy has worked on our staff for several years in the area of student ministry, communications, and guest services. And we are pleased to be able to support her as she pursues her calling into full-time Christian ministry. We believe that a legacy is a mark that one life leaves on another. I know you're going to be blessed by the messages you hear from both Joseph and Lauren in our message time today. And so would you join me now in giving them a warm First Methodist Mansfield welcome. Johnny and I were just laughing. Uh, David says we have special pastor. That was a special picture of me that's up there. I don't know who got that picture, but... Uh, mm. <laughs> David, uh, he's right. Uh, I, I come from the UTA Wesley Foundation. I'm the campus minister there, and uh, I just finished my seventh year there, actually, and I've uh, been very grateful to be in that, that role. And I'm very grateful to be here today for a few reasons. Uh, one of those reasons is just simply to say thank you to you. This church has been a major part of supporting us in our ministry on that campus. And we're very, very thankful. You, you may not know that as a church you've been supporting us, but, uh, but you have been through um, financial support, through uh, time spent in our ministry and by far through prayer for the work that we're doing on that campus. Uh, UTA is just in your backyard. 38,000 students this past fall, and they're looking to bump up near 40 this year uh, in enrollment. That's a lot of people. And they're literally in your backyard. And uh, those are the people who, when they graduate, they're going to be moving into places like Mansfield, Texas. 
And so um, we want to work together to reach that campus. We're a missional outpost on that campus to reach it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And it's with the partnership of, of this church that we're able to do that. So thank you for your, your work and your investment in us. The other thing I would say uh, about um, our relationship is uh, we will be sending more and more of our alums into your community and into your church. And, and so what we would ask from you is a couple of things. One, would you continue to invest in us like you are doing here with Cassidy? Uh, if you as an individual feel so led to continue supporting her too, that'd be awesome. But uh, the other thing is, when these young adults come into your church, one of the most important things you can do is you can see them as people who have something to give to the church, not as just young people to pad your young people numbers. Put them to work. We have done our work of training up them as leaders. Put them to work. That would bless us, it would honor us, and I think it would do a lot of great work for the kingdom. Um, and I'll just say this finally about our work there. We're fully invested in discipleship. We want to raise up the next generation of leaders. And we've recognized a couple of uh, things about this generation. One is that between the ages of 18 and 23, if you kind of think through your own life, if you're older than that, <clears throat> you are making some of the most important decisions of your entire life. It's going to affect all of your life. Okay, we also notice that the age of adolescence, scientists are telling us, is extending from the late teens into the mid to even late 20s now. Adolescence is the uh, formation of your frontal lobe. And so some of you maybe, maybe heard me say this before, but um, what's happening then is, um, well, let me say the, the frontal lobe is your decision-making core, all right, and it's still developing in adolescence. So if you put these two things together... These students are making some of the most important decisions of their life on a not fully functional brain. We want to help them make those decisions. <laughs> we want to help them make those decisions through the lens of Jesus. And so, uh, so we're after that, that work. But I'm not here to talk about the Wesley Foundation totally. I'm, I'm really here to talk about legacy, the work we do on campus. But we can find a little bit more about that work in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. If you have a Bible or a phone, pull that up. And while you're doing that, I'll start by saying this. Many of us live with this question. How will I be remembered? I mean, it drives a lot of our life. How will I be remembered? And we will do all sorts of things to try to answer this question. Sometimes we've chosen our career because we want to be remembered for something specific there. Sometimes we choose the way we act within our career because we want to answer this question. Sometimes we are paralyzed in knowing how to move forward in life because we want to answer this question in a good way. If I'm being honest with myself, I ask this question a lot, and a lot of times as I envision what that looks like, I think about my own funeral. It's a little bit dark, I guess, but I think, what would it be like when I die? How many people will be there? What will they be saying about me? But when it comes down to it, I think in the end, this is a really selfish question. 
because it's really centered on us. And it also ignores reality, which says most of us will be forgotten. Now, I hope that's not too much of a downer to you because I think it's just reality. I mean, think about this. Countless saints of the church have been forgotten. But their legacy remains with us today in this room. I mean, think about this. It's how we have become a worldwide movement as the church from the very small beginnings of the early church. When you look at the birthday of the church, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up to preach and 3,000 people come to believe. But Luke, the writer of Acts, decided not to really give them any of their names. Even though they're the forefathers and the foremothers of our faith. I think this is one of the reasons why. Christian legacy is about the people we leave in our wake, not how we will be remembered. And so the legacy that we've been, you guys have been talking about for the last few weeks here, it really has nothing to do with how you will be remembered or how great your name will be lifted up. Instead, it's about the people that you will leave in your wake that will perpetuate the ultimate legacy, and that is the kingdom of heaven. Let's read a little bit about how Elijah passes on his legacy to Elisha. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elisha said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this, 
and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What we see in this passage and what we know from the way the church has grown over these last 2,000 years is that passing on our faith is necessary. Leaving a legacy is best done through the work of discipleship. Discipleship is, simply put, the intentional work of teaching someone the faith. And what I'm proposing to you today is that the best way to do the work of discipleship is through relationships. You know, we can set up programs and we can teach curriculum and it's all very important and good. But the work of discipleship is going to happen when people disciple people. When we meet together and we share our lives together. Because discipleship of one generation to the next is not about perpetuating an institution or a program. It's about perpetuating the kingdom of God. It's not about us being remembered, but it's about the kingdom advancing into the next generation. It's about investing in the next generation and passing on the hope of our faith. We're living in a world right now that does not have a lot of hope. I mean, you can argue all day long about how we've gotten to where we are, whether it's media-driven or if there's actually an uptick of the things that are creating fear in us. But the reality is, we are living in a world right now that is heavy in fear and anxiety. And you and me, we are the ones who own the hope that is the good news for the world around us. We are responsible for passing that hope to the next generation. But we have to do it as the body of Christ, not as the body of ourselves. We have to take seriously when Paul repeats over and over and over again this idea that it has to be Christ instead of us. He says things like this. He says, we must be hidden with Christ in God. That we must become a new creation. That the old one, the one of us, should go away and that a new life should be formed. He says that we should take on the body of Christ. We should have the mind that is of Christ Jesus, not our own. 
that we should count all as lost when it comes to the things of the world, the things that we have produced. Or we can take Jesus when he says to us things like, if anyone should follow after me, they should take up their cross and follow me. For what good is it for someone to gain the entire world and yet lose their soul? We must learn in the spiritual life how to do as John the Baptist teaches us to pray. He must become greater, we must become less. It's in that posture that we set ourselves up the best to pass on the legacy of the kingdom of heaven to the next generation. But there's two important things I think we can learn from this passage. Here's the first. The older generation must be willing to invest in the younger generation. You might say, of course. But I'll tell you, many of us spend most of our time kind of just thinking about our own world. And we forget about the intentional calling that we have to invest in the younger generation. You see, what happens is Elijah has listened to the Lord about raising up Elisha. You you may remember that really famous passage in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah has been running from people who are trying to kill him. He goes up onto the mountain into a cave. He thinks he's going to hear the Lord's voice in all these catastrophic events. And really the Lord speaks to him in a gentle whisper. Remember that passage? It's really cool. Here's what the Lord tells him in that whisper. I will be faithful. You need to go and pursue my call. And then he says this. Go and find Elisha and invest in him. And so Elijah does that. Elijah is being being faithful to his call to invest in the next generation. It begs the question of us. Are we looking to the younger generations for the people that God wants us to disciple? Let me ask it a little bit more pointedly. Are you looking to the younger generations for the people that God wants you to disciple? That is a question that goes out to every single one of you in this room. God has created you to do the work of discipleship. None of us get to escape this calling. See, what happens is many of us think that someone else will be the Elijah. Please hear the Lord speak through me today. You are Elijah. You are Elijah. It takes every single one of us to reach the generations. And so you have to be Elijah. Because God has called you to do it. Now, some of you may respond and say, but I don't know how to do that. Well, none of us really do. 
Think about all the amazing people that God has used in Scripture, none of them equipped or worthy to do the work that God called them to do. You remember Moses had a really fat tongue and said, I can't speak, I'm scared of that, and yet God used him to speak to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt. David, the small shepherd boy, defeats Goliath, the giant. The really weird prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who are probably really socially awkward, are used to speak God's message to his people. A teenaged young woman is used to bear the child of God who will become our Messiah. If you can read scripture and not think that God can use you, you're not reading scripture correctly. Think about your own life. Who invested in you? It's typically not the pastor who's sitting up on the stage every Sunday. You you receive a lot from them. But it's typically the people who have had the long obedience in the same direction in your life. It's like the Sunday school teachers, the school teachers, the, the mentor who has taken you out to lunch, the parents who have listened to you and paced through life with you, the people who have encouraged you. You see, you can do the same thing. So the older generation must be willing to invest in the younger generation. Here's the second thing. The younger generation must be faithful, relentless, and bold, just like Elisha, to receive the mantle of the older generations in due time. Let me break that apart for you. First, the younger generation must be faithful, relentless, and bold to receive the mantle of the older generations. Whenever um, in Scripture we see repetition, you have to know that that's a big red flag. God wants to say something very important here. And the repetition that we see in this passage in verses 1, 4, and 6 is this. Elisha responds to Elijah and says, I will not leave you. He's being relentless. He has someone who is mentoring him, who's discipling him, who's passing on his legacy. And Elisha is saying, I am not going to let go of this person. We have to be relentless. And we have to pursue people who can teach us what it looks like to be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And then we see, when asked what Elijah can do, Elisha answers by saying, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? Most of us, when someone that we really respect says, what can I do for you? If I can give you anything, we're like, I would just love to be half the person that you are. And Elisha says what we look at as boldness says, I want a double portion of who you are. I don't want to just be like you. I want to do more things for the kingdom of heaven than you. 
Now, when my ego gets in the way, as someone who disciples people, my thought process is, I want to disciple you just enough to where you're doing some great things, but you don't overshadow me. But when I'm living into my, the kingdom vision, man, I want to raise up people who put me to shame. I want people who have the power of prayer like I've never known. Or people who are able to invest in double the amount of people I've been able to invest in. And as a young person, when I've seen people that I want to invest in me, I want all that they have and more. And so the question remains for us who are younger in the room. Are we showing up? Are we refusing to leave? And are we being bold in what we're asking for? Now here is a truth. Until you reach the oldest generation, there is always someone for you to learn from. In fact, there's only two age groups that don't fit both of these categories as people who should be discipling and people who should be discipled. It's the youngest ones and the oldest ones. Everyone else, this belongs to you. There is always someone for you to learn from. Now here's the deal. It's not always about age either. You know, David Alexander is, is probably a lot, a lot younger than, than a lot of people in this church, and yet you can learn from him. Sometimes it really has to do with spiritual maturity. But younger generation, we have to be faithful, relentless, and bold to receive the mantle. And here's the second part of that statement. In due time. You see, society around us, culture all over, is not honoring the older generations. I mean, you can feel it, can't you? There's really, we're not honoring these older generations. Everything is focused on being and looking and acting younger. I I don't know why that's the case, but our world tells us you have to be younger. And I think a couple of things happen with that. Uh, One of the things is that as the older generation, we feel like, man, once we get gray hair, we don't have anything to offer. That's when you have the most to offer. But then another thing that happens is that young people think, well, when people get gray hair, they don't have anything to offer. And I'll tell you, if you're young in this room, that is when they have the most to offer. And so, as young people, we write off the older generation and we think it's time for us to move into these places of leadership. And so, get out of the way is kind of the statement that we have. And so, I say to you today, calm down, be patient, and learn. Wait for God's timing to receive the mantle. And in the meantime, relentlessly learn and prepare. There's this wonderful story in 1 Samuel about how David was anointed as king. Do you guys remember this story? 
Samuel is told by God to go to the house of Jesse, and from there one of his sons will be anointed as king. And so Samuel shows up, he says, hey, I'm here to do this. Who, which one of your sons should be king? And Jesse says, well, obviously it's got to be my oldest son. He's the tallest, he's the best good looking, he, uh, he is kingly in all stature. And so Samuel says, well, Lord, is this the one? The Lord says, nope, not the one. And so on they go through son after son after son. And finally they get to the end of the line and none of them are who God wants. And so Samuel says, well, there's got to be another one because I, I heard God clearly. And Jesse says, well, there's David. He's off tending the flock like the servant. He says, well, go and bring him. And so they bring David and it's very clear to Samuel this is the new king of Israel, and he anoints him right then and there. And now, if, uh, if you would be uh, writing a, um, a story about this for a TV show or a movie, what would happen was uh, David would be anointed, they would quickly sweep him off into Jerusalem to take over for Saul, Saul would be deposed, and there would be this big coronation and everything would be grand. It didn't work like that. David was anointed king, and then he ran for a lot of years. He served in the house of Saul. He had multiple opportunities to take Saul's life and put himself into place of king. And each time he said, it's not my time. The Lord does not want this. He was patient, and he waited for the Lord's timing on when he should take up the mantle of leadership. The younger generation must be faithful, relentless, and bold to receive the mantle of the older generations in due time. Do you find yourself in this story somewhere today? Really, most people should be doing both. You should be discipling while also being discipled. And so I leave you with these two questions. Are you committed to investing in someone? And are you relentlessly learning from someone? The truth is, the kingdom of heaven needs you to be doing both. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you You've got to come and equip us and empower us right now. So would you please come in this moment and pour out your spirit upon us. We are yours. And so give us everything we need to raise up the, new, the next generation of leaders. To pass on the legacy that is the goodness of your kingdom. We pray this with boldness. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.